Hi, everybody. It's Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. When it comes to making great decisions, should you trust your intuition or data? Today, I'm back with the CEO of Cambridge House, author, investor, and successful entrepreneur, Jay Martin. And he's going to reveal when to rely on instinct versus cold, hard facts when making decisions. Learn how groupthink sways truth and why suppressing intuition creates poor choices. Today, you're going to discover tactics to develop confidence and sharpen your innate skills. This show will upgrade your ability to balance data, intuition, and social pressures. I've been doing a lot of shows recently on decision-making because we can know all the things to do for our health and wellness, but at the end of the day, it comes down to making a decision. The show is about cutting edge science, leadership, and life skills. One of the best life skills you can have is decision-making. So if you like this, let me know. Shoot me an email at eric at ericquorum.com or just DM me on social media. I hope this is adding value to your life. And one more thing before we get started. If you've been listening to this show for a while, would you please do me a favor and just stop what you're doing right now. Go to whatever listening platform you are joining us from and leave us a comment and review if you haven't done that yet, because that is one of the best ways you can help us promote the show, reach more people with this important message. All right, let's get to my conversation with Jay. So let's lean in and learn from the best. Jay, when you're in a social group or with people that you know, or just even in the world we live in where everybody's digitally connected, people often agree with an idea or an opinion because of these social pressures, all these inputs coming in. How can we be better at discernment? I think that's such a great word, by the way, like as we age, it's something I think we all want is more wisdom and discernment, Mm -hmm. sussing like the fact from the fiction. And then how can we build confidence to stand up under pressure and to make the right decision, no matter what the noise is around us? First problem, Eric, is acknowledging that you have a problem, right? And your <laughs> your problem is probably like every other person walking the planet that you trend towards herd mentality. And most people don't want to hear that, right? They like to identify as like, no, I'm a critical thinker. Like, I do my own thing. I walk my own path. You know, I think for myself. And and if you do, I applaud you. And I hope that's the case. And I try to do the same. But it's a muscle that you have to practice before you can flex because it's not our innate nature. And, you know, the reasons for that are, are sort of obvious and sort of not, right? Like when you're we're programmed at a young age to believe in safety in numbers. And, you know, I have a memory of being like a really probably five, six years old getting lost in a supermarket. And suddenly I was alone, right? Now I was terrified. And, you know, it's, it's a memory I have of the value of safety in numbers because eventually I found my dad and like, you know, <laughs> I was safe again, right? With my people, right? My people made me safe. I was safer in the group. And I recall being like in high school, I got picked on relentlessly. I don't know why. I was a small kid. I had a tug in my back. I don't know why. And, you know, the, the cooler kids just had it out for me. And so I eventually had to like start taking the bus, the stop past my house and then taking a sneaky route home and all this. But I learned how dangerous it was to be alone, right? Again, like mm. sort of the same lesson reaffirmed, right? You're safer in a crowd. You're safer with friends than I was walking around by myself. And, and that was, you know, made clear to me. And, you know, when I was in college, may, maybe a similar setting, you, you're in a classroom, there's a lecture being presented to you, something seems confusing to you. So you raise your hand and ask a question. 
unbeknownst to you, it's kind of a silly question. No one else is wondering that thing. And there's some chuckles and you you realize the danger of sticking your neck out and, and raising your hand when no one else did. It's like, ooh, that didn't feel good to be laughed at. I'm going to retract to the herd safety and numbers, right? And mm-hmm. and it makes sense. Like I, you know, because there's a lot of value there. If you go back to our origins, meandering the savannah, it's absolutely safer in a group. And same thing if you're walking through a sketchy part of town, it is safer in a group. But that's some programming in our brain that then can hurt us as we get older. And specifically, you know, and I, I tend to talk about the markets a lot because that's kind of where I live. And I, I watch a lot of investor behavior, which is driven by nothing other than safety in numbers and, you know, phenomenons like meme stocks and FOMO buying and all this stuff. And people just pile into really horrible decisions because their neighbors did it too. Right. And this kind of group thought is incredibly seductive because in a lot of other contexts, we've been led to believe it's the safest path forward. You know, there's some like really interesting psychological studies that I've found uncovering how easy it is to sway somebody's opinion if you surround them with uh, people who think a certain way. And so, for example, there was a social psychologist named Solomon Ash who in the 70s did a handful of studies where he'd put a bunch of students in a classroom and then he'd put a question in front of them. And the question he put in front of them was, there was three lines drawn on a chalkboard, three different lengths. And then he put another line on a piece of paper on their desk. And the line on their desk was the same length as one of the lines on the chalkboard. And it was really obvious which one of the three on the chalkboard, their line matched. It was, you know, one was way too short, one was way too long, and one was just right. And he would test this and ask the students, which line does your line match up with? And they'd all raise their hand and say, line two. And it was easy enough to get the answer right that they would get, you know, 100% of the participants getting the correct answer. So then what he did as step two to this experiment is he filled the room half with plants, right? Actors that were actually working for him. Ran the exact same experiment, one line on the desk, three on the board, different lengths, which one does yours match? But before the volunteer students could shout out their answer, all of his plants would shout out first and they would shout out the same but incorrect answer. Now, obviously mm-hmm. incorrect answer, but what he determined, and he ran this in like 17 different countries with over 700 different applications, meaning different study groups, that he could sway up to 70% of the population to ignore, to admit that or accept that you know the obvious wrong answer was in fact the right one and they were obviously missing something, right? They would just trend back to like, I can see this is like, my line is the same, same length as line number two, but everybody else is saying line number three, they must be right, I must be wrong. His studies were subsequently followed up in the 90s with brain scans and uh, same experiment, new study group now with monitoring brain activity. And they determined that you can actually change someone's perspective of truth, meaning that they weren't just gravitating towards the wrong answer because of peer pressure, but they began to believe that line three was actually the same length as the line on their desk. And so because of the pressure from the group, they would change what they could obviously see to be incorrect. And it's essentially the equivalent of like, you put a hundred people in a room and put a chair at the front of the room and you ask the people, is this a table or a chair? And if before you can answer, 70 people raise their hand and say table. And you're like, well, it looks like a chair to me, right? But 70 people at this said table, your first thought would probably be, I misunderstood the question, uh, obviously. And your, your second thought might be, I'm mixing the words up in my mind or something like this. Like clearly they know something I don't about this scenario. And the more I go down the rabbit hole of how easily we are influenced by our immediate surroundings, 
the more I question my own intuition and judgment, which is a difficult but interesting thing to do. So do you have North Star guiding principles? And you talked about core values before. You know, do you have guiding principles that you're like, I don't care what anybody else says, like, this is truth. Yeah, I think it depends on the application, right? Like, if it's a a highly tactical decision, like, you know, should I take this job or that job? Well, maybe not. That could be more values-based, but more market-centric. Like, I'm uh, looking at some capital allocation opportunities and... And that's a world where emotion does not serve you at all. And 100% is a nefarious obstacle. And so in that case, I try to be as cold as possible and data-driven as possible. Whereas outside of my life, like, yeah, family-based decisions, um, relationship-based decisions, what my core values do for me in that context, Eric, is like, they're like a litmus test, right? And if I'm facing some kind of a complex decision, it's somewhat challenging, Knowing what your core values are makes hard decisions a lot easier because mm-hmm. you can say, you know, is this in line with either my tenure North Star or my core values? If it is, then let's talk about it. Maybe I'll go this way. But if it isn't, if it isn't then it's a, it's a very easy no. It's just a personal thing. But when people say, uh, I want to express my truth, sometimes it's like, really? Like your truth? Like just like the situation we just heard, that's that study, right? Some things there is like a black and white, like the line is longer or not. And you can say whatever you want, but people can be manipulated. And so I guess the point of what I'm I'm thinking about is, is like with social media and media inputs. And I like how the way like your check-in is less frequent, which gives you a little bit better vantage point. If you're in it all the time, I think you can be easily swayed. If you're observing and you're conscious about what you're taking in, you can go back to what you know to be what the facts are. And then in other things that are a moral judgment, that's a moral judgment. But I think we're in a world right now that's it's a bit hazy. We're being steered in all sorts of different directions that we don't, you know, we don't even know sometimes like what reality is. And so I think it's really important, like 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 for you having core values that can guide your actions. And I think that if you don't have a central core to who you are, you can't change unless you have a changeless core, right? I think that was, uh, I can't remember who said that, but without something that's solid, you're just going to be, it's like building your house on the sand, it's going to crumble. So it's a skill now more than ever to be able to stand up and to call right, right, wrong, wrong, or to be able to be like, you know what, I'm not going to over index on that thing. Like we have a a system and a process and like Warren Buffett, like you mentioned him earlier, like he had a system and a process and they stuck with it. So longevity was important, but they had a system that they executed over a long period of time. I can be a bad better, (laughs) right? And I'm just going to be in more and more debt. But um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. You're obviously a very bright and intelligent person and you have a great YouTube channel. If anybody's interested in like financial literacy or investing, they should definitely check you out. And also the, um, the sovereign life blueprint, you should check that out as well. But do you have any closing thoughts? No, I, you know, I love what you said there and, uh, it's been awesome chat with you, Eric. Yeah. Super fun, buddy. I appreciate it. Absolutely. 
Thanks again for joining me on the Blueprint Podcast. If you know somebody that would benefit from listening to the show, do me a favor, take a screenshot of the podcast art and share it with them. You never know how this is going to impact somebody, how it could help them make a better decision that leads to a better outcome in their life. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you on the next episode.